everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I may have just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you listen to this. Me? I'm doing pretty good. Been a pretty eventful week in that Lisa set up a jigsaw puzzle for us. I forget until about 15 minutes into working on a jigsaw puzzle that I think I fucking hate jigsaw puzzles. I mentioned that to Lisa and she was kind of surprised. She was like, you get so into working on them. Yeah, but it's a compulsion, not something that I enjoy. I enjoy jigsaw puzzles like Asian vampires enjoy counting every grain of rice on the floor if you drop it in front of them. It's not so much a pleasurable activity as it is something that I have to do once I start doing it. On the other hand, it will be nice to have a picture of a wolf when I'm done. So, there's that. Anything else? Well, I did see the movie Uncle Drew this week, but I need to save something to talk about next week. I mean, if I used up working on a jigsaw puzzle and watching a basketball movie based on a TV commercial in the same episode, where would we go from there? I mean, gotta leave something to build to later on. Plus, I don't want to overly glamorize my bad boy rock and roll lifestyle, you know? You don't all have to live in the fast lane like I do. So stay tuned next week for my thoughts on the film Uncle Drew. I do want to get those in before the end of the year so that I can make some uh, best of 2018 podcast lists. Anyway, enough of this malarkey. Let's get into some different malarkey. Without any further ado, let's uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Brad Reed. Our Bob is a man not much given to talking, nor singing out songs. He is all about cocking, to fix up a floor, and to clean he sure mops his. Our Hub is a man who now reads a synopsis. Thanks, Brad. That is some pretty sweet-ass amphibracic quadrameter, dude. A phrase I definitely know the meaning of. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 45. August, 1984. Old Times, Old Friends. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drotted by George Perez. Inked by Mike DiCarlo. Lettered by Ben Oda. Colored by Adrian Roy and edited by Marf Wolfman and George Perez. Teen Titan Roll Call Beast Boy Wonder Girl Nightwing Starfire Raven Jericho Cyborg Kid Flash Sort of Francis Kane Maybe Aqua Girl And Aqualad Hooray! Previously in Tales of the Teen Titans after years of acting like the emo teen working at the complimentary Continental Breakfast Station in the Ramada Inn, which is to say, sulkily waffling, Wally West, a.k.a. Kid Flash, finally quit the Teen Titans. The sullen speedster turned in his spandex, bid a not-so-fond farewell to his Titanic teammates, and moved back to the Midwest with his magnet-powered childhood friend-slash-potential-love-interest, Francis Kane. 
Soon after his departure, the Titan's most recent recruit, a brash young earthbending urchin named Terra, revealed herself to be a traitor who had secretly been in cahoots with Deathstroke the Terminator, a superpowered assassin who uses 90% of his brain, but only 50% of his eyeballs. The false-faced firmament flinger teamed with the monocular mercenary and kidnapped our titular teenagers, delivering them to the robed reprobates of HIVE. The Hierarchy for International Vengeance and Eliminations, an organization who, despite what their name would seem to imply, claimed that they were not in fact dedicated to the ranking of spicy poops of the world. Dick Grayson managed to escape abduction. The adolescent aerialist enlisted the aid of Deathstroke's estranged son Joseph, a mute young blonde man who had two equally impressive superpowers. The ability to mentally possess anyone he made eye contact with, and a super sweet set of mutton chops. Joseph revealed to Dick that he uses his extraordinary abilities to thwart evil as the colorfully clad costumed crime fighter Jericho, a codename he seems to have chosen either for irony, Jericho is a mute while the biblical battle of Jericho was won in part by making very loud noises, symbolism, he infiltrates people's bodies like Joshua and his spies infiltrated the walled city of Jericho, although hopefully after doing so he doesn't kill all of his enemy's children the way that Joshua did, or because he didn't want to have to change the monograms on his towels. Not to be outdone, Dick donned some fancy new duds of his own and debuted his new nom de guerre, Nightwing. Nightwing and Jericho launched a rescue mission invading Hive's secret mountain base and freeing the captive titans. Hooray! During the course of the rescue, our heroes overheard the spicy poop rankers mention that concurrent to their Kill the Teen Titans plan, they were also undertaking a sinister scheme called Operation Waterworks. Hmm... Our perplexed protagonists had little time to puzzle out the Poop Rankers' plots because no sooner were they freed than our recently captive crime fighters were confronted by Deathstroke and their traitorous teammate Terra. During the ensuing kerfuffle, Jericho managed to subdue his supervillainous sire, but Terra went berserk and eviled way too hard. In a blind rage, the duplicitous dirt distributor overextended her earthbending powers and died as a result. The Titans returned home to New York and organized a funeral for Terra, diplomatically neglecting to mention to the guests that she died attempting to murder her teammates. In other Titans news, Wonder Girl is still engaged to divorcee community college professor Terry Long, and Cyborg's globetrotting grandparents are coming for a visit. Gadzooks! After finally concluding a multi-part story arc in which they battled the evil forces of Hive, what new villain will our heroes face in their next adventure? Will Vic's globetrotting grandparents throw a bucket of confetti in his face and then dunk on him? And why did those spicy poop rankers name their pending criminal enterprise Operation Waterworks? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Hive? No, but they do pick his lock with a hatpin and then call his supergroup the Tight Teeners which is kind of dunking on him. And I'm pretty sure it's because they hurt Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and there is no more surefire way to guarantee that the whole world cries. Hence, Operation Waterworks. A handsome young man with dark curly hair struggles as he staggers into the Titan's T-shaped skyscraper. He's holding an unconscious, scantily clad woman in his arms. The dude looks like a sopping wet Tom Jones, which is to say... He looks like Tom Jones. Although, unlike Tom Jones, this handsome young man has a good reason to look perpetually damp. Because he is Aqualad, and the woman in his arms is Tula, a.k.a. Aquagirl. Hooray! Or, actually, not so hooray. 
because the undisputed greatest teen titan of all time is distraught. He and Aquagirl appear to be on death's door and have made the journey to the Titan Tower seeking the aid of their young allies, only to find that the futuristic headquarters is empty. With the last energy remaining in his sea-strengthened limbs, the marine teen stumbles towards the tower's swimming pool, hoping against hope that the waters within will reinvigorate him and his KO'd companion. Unfortunately, even sea-strengthened legs have their limits, and the deep-sea-dwelling duo collapse mere feet away from the pool. Jeez. I hope he's okay. Unlike a certain greatest teen titan of all time's limbs, my heart isn't sea-strengthened, and I'm pretty sure if anything happens to Aqualad, it'll break. Meanwhile, across town at a warehouse down by the docks, an illegal arms deal is taking place. Because of course it is. Seriously, what is it about warehouses in comic books? I don't think we've ever seen a warehouse that wasn't the site of some kind of illegal activity, be it drug smuggling or gun running or selling illegal alien technology or some combination of the three. I feel like there should be some kind of a warehouse anti-defamation group to step in and say, hey, a warehouse is a place of business. We store and unload goods, many of which, heck, probably the majority of which are obtained legally. I'm just saying that maybe sometimes villains could have meetings in bakery or like a gymboree or maybe one of those frozen yogurt places. All I know is that me and my associates at Fair Play for Abandoned Amusement Parks are getting pretty sick of this shit. Anyway, I guess this particular group of international terrorists and arms dealers hasn't gotten a cease and desist letter yet because they are buying some high-tech guns for the revolution or whatever down at the warehouse by the docks. The surprisingly multicultural group of bad guys is dismayed when Beast Boy drops down from the rafters and starts beating the living shit out of them. Gar's in a bit of a mood, as is evidenced by the fact that his usual nervous banter of shitty puns and gross innuendos has been replaced by an angry diatribe in which he accuses the terrorists of being liars who want to betray people's trust. Um, okay? The verdant vigilante goes on to insist that the criminals tell him why. Why they turned on their friends and pretended to be something they weren't. Hmm. I'm no psychologist, but I think this might have something to do with the whole Terra thing. Gar turns himself into an elephant, and with tears of rage in his eyes, he is about to trample one of the arms dealers to death, when Cyborg shows up and stops his enraged Emerald Amigo from using deadly force. Beast Boy turns his aggression on Vic and asks why his bionic buddy has been avoiding him all week when he's been trying to talk about his feelings. Uh, seems like it kind of answered your own question there, Gar. Vic tells his perturbed pal that he's been busy as all, preparing for his grandparents' impending visit. Wait, really, dude? That's your excuse? You're a mechanical genius with super strength, and you haven't been able to talk to your buddy about his grief and rage because it's taken you a whole week to assemble a futon? You got a fucking Allen wrench set in your forearm. I can't believe that putting together an Ikea frame is going to take you more than, I don't know, Six or seven hours, tops. Understandably, Gar refuses to be placated and stomps off, telling Vic that he and the rest of the Titans can go fuck themselves. Fair enough. Hey, speaking of Vic's globetrotting grandparents, shouldn't they be here by now? Turns out, yup. Maud and Tucker Stone show up at their grandson's apartment in Hell's Kitchen, only to find that Vic is too busy being a bad friend to Gar to come home and be a bad grandson to them. Fortunately, the Elder Stones apparently have a bit of a checkered past, and Maud is able to pick the lock on Vic's apartment with her hat pin. A few notes about Tucker and Maud Stone. 
They disapprove of their grandson's superheroic lifestyle. They call Victor quirky. And they are fucking delightful. As the resourceful retirees make themselves at home, we see that their powerful, prosthetic-possessing progeny is out making a phone call, attempting to make amends with his anamorphic ally. Corky visits a phone booth and tries to contact Gar Logan, but Gar is off, probably yelling at criminals for abandoning him. However, much like Corky's apartment, the Logan residence, too, has a guest who appears to have let themselves in. A mysterious individual with a pronounced Cockney accent informs Gar's substitute butler that there is no need to inform the absent Mr. Logan of their visit. They will stop by later and surprise him. Wonder who the mystery guest is? Well, for their sake, I hope they don't intend to adopt the animal avatar-assuming adolescent. Gar's adopted parents tend to reach their expiration dates faster than unrefrigerated shellfish. Speaking of both uninvited guests and fish that is about to expire... Back at the Titans Tower, Wally West and Francis Kane stop by for a visit, only to find that Aqualad and Aquagirl are passed out next to the pool. Okay, so four former Teen Titans or Titan-adjacent characters are at the tower, and we've seen what Vic and Gar are up to, but where are the rest of the Titans? Has some dire fate befallen them? Well, in the case of Nightwing, the answer is a resounding yes. Dick Grayson is trapped at Terry Long's bachelor party. (sighs) That's the bad news. The worst news is that the festivities were planned by Terry's brother, Barry, and, as implausible as it might sound, Terry, the divorced college professor who is about to marry his teenage former student, is by far the less creepy of the Long brothers. Barry has invited a cadre of drunk business associates who all keep making Henny Youngman-style one-liners about how much they dislike their wives. Then, a stripper named Candy Spice jumps out of an enormous cake. Candy Spice is kind of a weird name. What sort of spice is used in making candy anyway? Mostly just tastes like sugar. I guess there's licorice. That's got a spice in it. It's flavored like anise. Oh... Oh, I get it. The candy spice is anise. Like anus. Her name means butthole. That is definitely what Marv Wolfman's intent was and not something that I'm reading way too much into. Gross. Gross, Marv Wolfman. Gross. Dick is visibly uncomfortable at both the rampant drunkenness that surrounds him and the fact that the lady whose name is a rebus for butthole is grinding her namesake against the frosting of a cake she just jumped out of. As the drunken debauchery continues to surround them, Dick and Terry share a nice bonding moment about how much they love their respective partners, Coriander and Donna. It's kind of nice. Speaking of Coriander and Donna, the two ladies in question are having a significantly more subdued evening at their equivalent of a bachelorette party on Donna's childhood home of Paradise Island. The Amazons gather around Starfire as she regales them with tales of the splendor of her home planet, Tamarind. Huh, I wonder if she has any relatives named after the spice Anis. Probably not. It's tough to get apostrophes into that word. As the Tamaranian princess holds court with her rapt audience, Donna goes off and has a chat with her adopted mom, Hippolyta, and her sister, Wonder Woman. Donna's a little nervous that her mom will take away her powers, seeing as that's kind of the tradition if an Amazon marries a mortal. But her mom is like, nah, that's cool. Since you're adopted, you can do whatever you want. Here's some new bracelets that are better than your old ones. 
There's some stars on them that match your earrings. Then everybody hugs. It's nice. Meanwhile, back in New York, Raven is just getting out of her classes at Manhattan University. Some blonde kid named Steve is hitting on her in kind of a passive-aggressive way. I thought he was the same blonde college student who was obsessed with her back when she first enrolled, but I think that guy was named Paul. Either way, both blonde dudes have the same patented nice guy TM move of being very polite and talking about how sensitive they are, but neither one is content to take no for an answer. Damn it, Steve and or Paul! Jericho pulls up in his car to give Raven a ride home, and Steve Paul is like, Oh, if you have a boyfriend, then I'll back off, just so long as you belong to somebody. That's the important thing, stupid Steve Paul. As they drive off, Raven tells Jericho that she likes hanging out with him, because he's a pretty chill dude. They share a nice moment, but then Raven freaks out because she senses that the Hegelian antithesis of a chill dude is hanging out at the Titan Tower. The Azerathian empath teleports herself back to the T-shaped skyscraper to see what Wally West is upset about. After she leaves, Jericho sees that one of the books Raven has left behind is a text about how to speak in sign language. Ah, good for her. When Raven arrives at the tower, she sees that Wonder Girl, Starfire, Wally, Francis, and Dick have all gathered around a huge aquarium in which Aqualad and Aquagirl are still unconscious. Dick is hard at work trying to save the lives of the amphibious aces, so naturally, Wally wants to talk about the fact that he has hurt feelings. Same old Wally. Apparently, word reached Blue Valley that Terra had died, and the junior wizard of Wiz feels slighted that he wasn't invited to her funeral. Nobody seems willing to mention the fact that Terra was a spy and eviled herself to death in a frenzied rage, although whether this lack of disclosure is out of some misplaced aversion to speaking ill of the dead, or merely the byproduct of a general and understandable reticence to talk to Wally unless absolutely necessary, is a little unclear. Fortunately, before anyone is forced to confront their motivations, Dick figures out a way to revive their aquatic allies. Hooray! It turns out that some unknown force had caused Garth and Tula's bodies to start rejecting the oxygen they were normally able to get out of water. But, by using some weird science nonsense, Nightwing was able to slowly raise the oxygen levels in their aquarium water, and now the two hydro heroes are just fine. Hooray! Once they have been sufficiently resuscitated, the two newly revived heroes try their best to answer their former teammates' questions. The main one being, what force on earth could possibly be strong enough to take out not one, but two teenagers with sea-strengthened limbs? Still a bit groggy, Aqualad does his best to answer. It seems that he and Tula had swum off from the city of Atlantis so they could do some heavy-duty makeouts. Nice. The young couple was soon forced to put away their sea-strengthened tongues, because soon after their makeout had begun, they heard a huge explosion coming from the general vicinity of the undersea city they'd just snuck away from. When they swam back to investigate, they found a giant machine that had the logo of a certain organization that may or may not be devoted to the ranking of spicy poops. Hmm... The startled sea teens had little time to process what they had just seen, because suddenly they were having trouble breathing. Not only that, but the newly asphyxiating Atlanteans soon found themselves under attack from hundreds of scuba-suited hive agents. Despite being ambushed and nearly drowned, Aqualad and Aquagirl beat the shit out of the first wave of poop rankers and rode off on some orcas, because Aqualad and Aquagirl are fucking awesome. With the last of their energy, the two Titanic teens managed to make their way to the Titan Tower, which brings us up to the opening pages of this comic book. 
The Titans are sick and tired of the terrible acronym Havers at Hive and their hideous hijinks, so they agree to help Aqualad and Tula investigate the Atlantis situation. Cyborg and Beast Boy still haven't checked in, so Dick asks Wally if he and Fran can join them. Wally declines, on the grounds that he's too busy moping, but fortunately, Jericho has just arrived and offers to lend a hand. With Aqualad and Aquagirl swimming ahead to lead the way, Dick, Donna, Starfire, Raven, and Jericho pile into the Titan's fancy submarine and embark on their underwater adventure. Hooray! Back on land, Wally confides in Francis that the real reason he declined to join his teammates is that for the last few months, his powers have been causing him tremendous pain whenever he uses them. Then he whines about Raven until Fran tells him to shut up. Nice work, Fran. Man, for a group of heroes who are almost pathologically incapable of maintaining their secret identities, the Titans sure do know how to keep a lot of secrets from each other. I bet if they could have just pretended that their civilian identity were a difficult but likely necessary to hear emotional truth, Deathstroke never would have found out who they were. Nobody would. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm okay. How are you doing? I am also okay. That is better than some of the alternatives. <laughs> Indeed. Probably most of them. I'd say, on average, I'd say I'm doing about a uh, 64%. On the way to 100% being just, like, awesome? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a D. Yeah, man, passing grade. Yeah. That's what I'm shooting for yeah. pretty much all the time. Yeah, just enough. Yep. A gentleman's D minus. <laughs> what did you think of this comic book? Uh, I was struggling to give it a grade, but I don't think I've formulated my feelings well enough to give it a grade on a, the A to F scale. I liked it. I will say that. I liked it too. Uh, and I know what you mean. I'm a little bit conflicted about it in certain regards. Not enough Aqualad. Don't give me Aqualad on the cover and just have him be like, oh, poison. Sad and poison. That's true. Where is everybody? What do you mean? Oh, yeah. Like, he all... shows up and <laughs> they're just, everybody's gone. I'm like, come on, guys. I felt pretty bad for him when he was doing like, that. How much just would like, that suck? Did they move the pool? <laughs> Where's the fuck's the pool? Ah, uh, poor fella. Sheesh. But yeah, for a comic book that has Aqualad on the cover and is somewhat... I mean, it's not really anybody-centric. In most ways, it's kind of another reset issue in that we just wrapped up a big storyline. And so it's almost like a day-in-the-life type thing where we just get, like, here's what the new normal is, but then it's also introducing several, it seems like, new storylines. Mm -hmm. Which I'm fine with. I think part of why I'm conflicted about this issue is... Despite the fact that it is setting up an underwater adventure for Aqualad and Aquagirl, mm -hmm. I don't like the big story that it seems like it's setting up because the resolution of the last big story arc was they had a big battle with Hive at Hive's base. I'm not crazy about Hive as a villain. And now they're going to go fight Hive again. I'm yeah. just sick of Hive, man. Yeah, they should just stick to pooping and... Ranking them. Yeah, leaves the, <laughs> leave the villainy to better villains. Yeah, wouldn't hurt my feelings if they did that. Although, yeah, like I said, we're getting an Aqualad-themed issue. Maybe we'll see Rudy again? Oh, if we're lucky. Oh, boy. I miss that guy already. I know. I think I would rather have Rudy show up and be a permanent fixture rather than Wally. Because <laughs> he's back. <laughs> 
Let's talk about Wally. I mean, I feel bad that apparently his superpowers are hurting him now. But overall, fuck that guy, man. He's like one of those people that... Hmm. I don't want to implicate myself so much, but (laughs) sometimes, like, there are people that you run into that just have no way to read a social situation whatsoever. And I don't mean, like, Asperger's or something like that. I I mean, somebody that's, like, not on any sort of spectrum, but is just kind of a jerk because they're self-centered. Yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily an inability to read social situations. It's a general disregard of them because whatever I'm thinking is obviously at the center of whatever this group is. Right, and so we see that in full effect when Aqualad and Aquagirl are on the brink of death and everybody's trying to figure out what's wrong with them and he's like my feelings he really is he just wants to talk about his feelings well there are literally life or death stakes going on around him but me and honestly in that particular situation dick doesn't come off a heck of a lot better in that because dick really doesn't want to talk about feelings which i can certainly identify with but when he doesn't want to talk about feelings to the extent that he's kind of viewing Aqualad and Aquagirl's life-imperiling situation as a, thank God, a distraction, saved by the bell. I I read that panel or series of panels much more charitably towards (laughs) Dick than you did. So what we're talking about is, yeah, basically life or death is going on. They're trying to figure out what's wrong. Wally's like, no, me. And um, Starfire's like, hey, shut up. And Dick says thanks to Starfire for telling him to shut up. It seemed like, to me, he was saying thanks because he was, like, looking in the microscope and trying to concentrate and solve this problem. And he was being distracted. (laughs) Wally's being a dick in the background. Yeah. So, okay. Wally has, understandably, I think, his feelings hurt that he was not invited to Tara's funeral. Snubbed. Snubbed at the funeral. (laughs) Yeah. What it is. Donna says, Wally, I'm sorry, but delivering obituary notices wasn't uppermost in our minds. Wally's like, still, one of my friends died fighting the Terminator, and all my other friends just forget to tell me. I don't understand it. And Starfire interrupts and is like, um, Wally, Aqualad and his girlfriend are in trouble. Isn't that more important than anything else? And Dick goes, thanks, Corey, under his breath. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the fact that it's the thanks, Corey, under his breath. I don't know. I can see that. I guess I, I guess you're right. There is a charitable read on that. I, it just isn't one that I had. Because in general, the Titans have displayed a, even for them, over-the-top reluctance to talk about their feelings. Mm-hmm. We see that they've all been dodging Beast Boy's phone calls, which, ordinarily, I'm fully in favor of. But in this particular situation, he's the only one who wants to talk about how he's feeling and what just happened. They all experienced a very traumatic event. And he's like, look, I'm freaking out. I need to deal with this. And Vic's like, oh, yeah, but my grandparents are coming to town and uh, I've just got a lot to do to get ready for them. That is the lamest excuse. It is. What has he got to do? He's already cleaned his apartment. He's, uh, what? Putting down a futon for him? And he actually doesn't do anything. His grandparents show up and he's not fucking home and they have to pick the lock to get in. Yeah. Yeah. And we see that there's kind of that behavior from all of the rest of the Titans. And Vic's like, look, we just don't want to talk about it. It's nothing personal. They could really use grief counselor Donna to be on the case here. She's really dropping the ball in this situation. Has it been two weeks? 
I think it's just been one week, but she should at least show up and be like, you guys, it's been a week. Let's get over this. No, I think she's two. She has a two week she... <laughs> period, <laughs> so she's like, "Look, guys, you got seven more days. And why then do... no more moping around? Why do you think they're all so reticent to mention that Tara was a traitor? Is it like embarrassment on their part? Yeah. Or is it like I understand they don't want to tell her brother that's an awkward conversation, but Wally's not friends with a lot of other superheroes right now. Word's not gonna get back to Brian that she was a baddie, is it... I've noticed there definitely is, and it's come up certainly recently in uh, current events, when somebody dies, just nobody wants to talk shit about them. Everybody wants to pretend they were a wonderful person. Ugh. Is that what's going on with with this? I can't listen to NPR, man. Anyway, yes, I think that it's maybe embarrassment, not in the sense that they're worried about word getting out that they were duped, but just, like, internal struggle of, what the fuck, man? We trusted this, we all trusted this yeah. person, and nobody saw it coming, and, like, I feel like a damn fool and And confused. probably you've also got any death creates, if it's somebody that you're close to, creates a number of conflicting emotions. And so, where they were faced with the reality of Tara being a traitor, so close to her dying in a big maelstrom of lava and evil... They've got to be still kind of grieving for the person that they thought they knew mm -hmm. that whole time. Because they were pals with her for like a mm -hmm. little over a year. And like were roommates in some situations with her and like certainly co-workers. It's got to create just this kind of maelstrom of emotions. And I get not wanting to deal with it. But the extent to which they are going out of their way to just be like, nope. Well, are they geographically in New England? <laughs> no, they're in New York. Oh, okay. So well, yeah, they, they don't can't have play that card. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, still Northeast, but I guess that kind of counts. Yeah, uh, do New Yorkers talk about feelings? Probably. Uh, they need to go up north and bottle that up. <laughs> when that bottle fills up, you get a bigger bottle. But also, Wally's just being a dick, mm -hmm. and we find out that he has not shut up about Raven. To I think Francis is his new girlfriend, maybe. Yeah, and she's. Over she's it. <laughs> totally over it. And of course she's over it. They show up in the Titan Tower, I think just to whine about Wally's feelings. Then they're like, oh, one of my oldest friends who I've known for years and years is dying. Not going to talk about that. Not going to mention that. Not even going to bring up the fact that it's a concern for anybody. I'm just going to talk about the fact that I feel hurt. And while he is doing that, Raven shows up and is like, Wally, it's so good to see you. Are you okay? And he's like, do you even care that if I'm okay? Or are you just being polite? Oh, he's such a fucking child. God, what a fucking baby. Ugh. And then, yeah, when they're outside, he's like, I don't think Raven even cared if I was okay when she asked if I was okay. And Francis is just like, shut the fuck up, Wally! Yeah, can you imagine how you would feel if you were in Francis's position? God! That would be so... It's not even yucky. like... Ra Raven wasn't even his ex-girlfriend. She was his... Ex-crush. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess probably current crush still. And he just will not shut up about her and how she's A, probably evil, and B, do you think she really liked me? Do you think she really cares that I'm okay? Ugh. That's Wally. He needs to get back in the time machine and go back to his syrup drinking days. I miss that Wally. I think he comes back. Like, later on, when he is the Flash, Wally West as the Flash is actually pretty, pretty cool. Hmm. It's just this kid flashes. Real pilot turds. We haven't seen Aqua Girl in a while. 
And Starfire is like, oh, we've met Aqualad. I didn't know there was an Aqua Girl. And I believe it's Dick says, yeah, she used to be a Teen Titan. Wait, she did? Did she? No. The only mention I remember was was it the episode where Aqualad gets like brainwashed into killing somebody. No, that wasn't even her. I don't think she was hanging out with him in the, the famous Salmon Malfeasance episode. That's right. <laughs> where, you know, he does murder and die too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right, right. Yeah. yeah, it's just murder and Salmon Malfeasance. Yeah, it's where he causes the... Uh, fish storm. The fish storm by calling for the DDT, waving yeah. his finger in a circle underwater. Yeah, but no, that was a... I don't think he was hanging out with Tula in that. Tula would show up sometimes in the, like, backup stories that would just be, like, Aqualad having adventures and shit. Mm-hmm. But... I don't think she ever interacted with the Teen Titans before this issue. I might be wrong about that, but she certainly wasn't a team member. I guess maybe it was implied that they hung out more, like, off-panel between issues or something. But it it is weird how that gets just dropped in. Like, oh yeah, she used to be a Teen Titan. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't remember that. I, I don't I even think she was part of, like, the Titans West storyline when they brought in, like... 14 other auxiliary titans i think dick just says things sometimes to sound knowledgeable (laughs) i think that's fair you know for the first few issues that she was introduced aqua girl or tula never got called aqua girl she was called aqua chick oh i think haney was really pushing for that to be her official code name Mm -hmm. because yeah haney was writing aquaman at the time too it was like 67 or something when she was introduced on the cover of the issue, she was called Aqua Girl, mm-hmm. but like nobody called her Aqua Girl. She was always Aqua Chick. Oh man. And she was just kind of a wild party girl. Mm. Which I like the idea of Aqualad having like kind of an opposites attract thing going on, because he's kind of a quieter, sensitive dude. Mm-hmm. Seems like they make a nice couple. Yeah, but he probably drew on that for his wet and wild days. Oh, totally. I bet he got a lot of advice from her. Mm-hmm. Gave her a call on the old shell phone. <laughs> yep. So, floppy wide brim hat, right? <laughs> She's like, yes, of course, wet and wild. <laughs> okay, okay. Fringy sweater? Uh-huh. <laughs> cool. Okay. I'm still wearing the short shorts. Yeah, of course you're wearing the short shorts. You always wear those short shorts. Thanks, Tula. We get to meet Cyborg's grandparents for the first time. They don't seem nearly as bad as they were made out to be. They seem super cool. Yeah. I like that they call him Corky. Yeah, that's pretty cute. Like, oh, his nickname's Corky? Victor? I don't know how they get that. I bet there's a story behind it. I hope so. Maybe as a child he liked to drink wine a lot. Probably. <laughs> Kids and wine, that old famous Yeah, well, you thing. know, you want the kid to be quiet. You're a busy scientist. <laughs> Got a lot of things on your plate. Drink this Manischewitz. <laughs> Wait, that doesn't have a cork. That's a screw top. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking wine that you could feed a kid it has to be sweet. Oh, good thinking. Good thinking. But those all have screw tops. Yeah. Boone's Farm, MD2020, Night <laughs> Train, Thunderbird, all Car- screwed up. Carlo Rossi. Oh, kids, that's not sweet enough for a kid. That's pretty sweet. That's a teen's wine. <laughs> <laughs> a thinking teen's wine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what wine he was drinking as a baby. Maybe uh, his grandparents will have that story later. But yeah, they seem like super fun, like kind of elder con men couple they pick a lock with a hat pin and talk about their adventures and they seem really fun they kind of remind me of like the grandparents on the cosby show where it's like they probably used to hang out in jazz clubs and stuff remember the cosby grandparents which is weird because i watched a shitload of that show as a kid uh the one i think it was cliff's dad was like white-haired dude he sounded like panthro from thundercats (laughs) 
Snarf! Cliff! Uh, Maybe it's the same actor. I don't think it is. They, they did sound pretty similar. They were fun. I like them. They were fun, fast-living, fast-talking old people who are disappointed that their grandson is a superhero and part of the tight teens. That, I was... Tight teener? I was hoping you'd bring that up. That was so good. <laughs> he's like, oh, he's probably busy. You heard he's a tight teener, right? One of them tight teeners. <laughs> Our grandson a superhero. Where did we go wrong? Oh, indeed. It's just, it's just fun. I like them. And yeah, Vic did not do anything to prepare for them coming. He was totally making an excuse to Beast Boy because he didn't want to talk about feelings. Mm -hmm. I can identify, but not the healthiest. All that said, I like this conflicted, angry, not being gross towards women Beast Boy. He's just yeah. like, I'm going to take all my anger out on these confirmed criminals that want to take over my government. <laughs> and it's not his government. I think it's foreign governments. Oh, is it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I couldn't really tell. I was just... Because this is the time of Red Dawn, right? Yeah, I guess it could be. I was like, I, I think there's probably just some guys... I think that... they were just arms dealers and they were... It, it's tough to tell because the group of revolutionary slash terrorists and arms dealers... Because it's an arms deal that he's busting. They're a wildly disparate group of individuals. It's like when you see... Pot. Yeah, it's like when you see a street gang in an 80s horror movie. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, yeah, they've got... The Mr. T knockoff. Yeah, the Phantom Stranger knockoff. The guy that looks like Mark Singer. The guy who looks like Bob from the uh, 1988 Batman movie. Mm -hmm. You remember the Joker's goon, Bob? I wish I did. He was the bald dude with the beard who wore the big hat and the windbreaker with the Joker's picture on the back. I know his name is Bob because <laughs> I actually had an action figure of Bob. Oh, my. Because it was always like the remaindered Batman toy. But it was just like, I think it was named Bob, the Joker's goon. That is the meanest thing. <laughs> if you are a crime boss to make your goons wear windbreakers <laughs> with your picture. I think it's a pretty sweet move. Oh, well, if you're the boss, it is. Yeah. You don't want to get windbreakers printed up with your face on the back end of onto your gang? I just, I don't know. Maybe it's a failure of leadership mentality on my part. I just can't see it. Uh, I guess I just identify more with the goon yeah. than the well, boss. What do you want on the back of your windbreaker if you're a goon in a gang? Oh, probably like the name of the gang and then my name. Oh. Like my gang name. Okay. But just like no graphics? Oh, probably something like a skull with, like, a knife in it. Hmm. Surrounded by snakes or, you know, some tough shit. Yeah, like, or like a skull with a tiger in its mouth. Yeah. <laughs> like a little tiger. Yeah. So you can tell it's a huge skull. Yeah. I like that. I think that. that'd be pretty good. Maybe with some flames. Oh, yeah. Maybe the tiger's flaming. Flaming so like... tiger in the mouth of a giant skull. Yeah. With sharp teeth. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because uh -huh. that, that way it's an allusion to the Blake poem. Tiger, tiger. Burning bright. In, in the a... skull of the night. Yeah, exactly. What fearful. You already got farther than I could quoting it. Bones <laughs> can frame thy fearful symmetry. Ooh, nice. I got a little mixed up with the gang jacket in the poem. <laughs> that's understandable, but still, that's a pretty sweet poll. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And a pretty sweet gang. We gotta start a gang. Yeah. <laughs> the Blake Boys. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we should be more gender inclusive. Uh, the Blake Brigade. Blake Brigade. Yeah. I like that. It's pretty good. What would be for you, motherfucker? <laughs> 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 but yeah, I like this Beast Boy better too. And 
And yeah, I feel bad because he's clearly going through some tough shit. And I mean, I guess it's also partly the fact that he is not interacting with any women in this issue, that he is not being super creepy towards any women in this issue. But he's a much more effective fighter. He he doesn't have any of this weird, oh, self-doubt, I'm just not confident, so I'm going to act like an asshole all the time. No, instead he's like, oh yeah? I'm a fucking porcupine now and wrapped around your face. <laughs> Dude, there is that kind of weird disconnect because he's clearly trying to go all Dirty Harry and he even quotes Dirty Harry in it, but he's got fundamentally goofy powers. I, I liked the porcupine in the face. I really liked the ass kicking. Oh, yeah. He was when, a donkey, right? Or it was a weirdly like... drawn donkey because he doesn't look that different than the whatever, like, tiger jackal that he was in the opening scene where he was, he's like some kind of a weird dog cat thing. Tough to tell what kind of animal he is when he's hiding in the rafters about to pounce on the guys. He looks kind of like the same thing except for that his, he clearly has hoofs for feet. So I think he's supposed to be a donkey in that one. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is a failing on the part of uh, Mike DiCarlo, who's the inker in this. Maybe that's not fair of me. It's just I feel like normally Beast Boy's animals are a little bit better rendered and there's a couple of art, not necessarily miscues, but places where it's not turned up to the 11 that we're used to seeing George Perez art. And the difference is that it, there is a different inker than the one that we've seen for the majority of these issues. So I'm, I tend to place the blame on him. The other thing is, generally, Beast Boy's nervous banter that he does when he fights seems like it would just be annoying and not like an effective fighting tool. In this, he just seems scary. And not in ways that he necessarily intends to, because he clearly is conflating the bad guys that he is fighting with Terra. And is pretty vocal about doing that and crying while he's fighting them. And that would be fucking terrifying. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, criminals are smart. I, I, They're like, let's get the heck out of here, man. Yeah. And he really seems like he might have killed them if Cyborg hadn't showed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not generally a fan of grim and gritty heroes, but I feel like this is an improvement for Beast Boy because almost anything would be. The one note that I would have is I wish his powers worked the way they did in the Silver Age, where he would still have the same haircut on whatever <laughs> animal he turned into. <laughs> Oh, As if, he was, if only. <laughs> like, elephant. if he was the elephant with the bad comb over. Yeah, a little toupee. <laughs> that, is, that is crying while murdering three people. Oh, that would have been priceless. Yeah, pretty good. Speaking of Gar, we see that when Vic is trying to get a hold of him later, ends up talking to his backup butler. Mm-hmm. Gar has a house guest that he's unaware of that we don't really know anything about except for the fact that they're British. Mm -hmm. Who do you think they are? I felt like that's something that I should have been able to gather either from context or the past, but the only connection I could come up with was to Wintergreen, but he seemed to have more of a posh British accent. Yeah, this and... seems like a definite Cockney British accent, so my two guesses as to who this person might be would be either... Okay, I guess I got three guesses. It might be... The Mad Mod. <laughs> I would love it if the Mad Mod just decided to swing what? by and stay in his apartment. <laughs> it could be Holly Hip, who mm. was the British pop star that the Teen Titans hooked up with earlier. I think he had a similar accent. Mm -hmm. Or it could be Bert from Mary Poppins. I think Bert would be a really good influence on Gar. Mm -hmm. you know, especially right now, he could help him calm down a little bit. Plus, we have it on Mary Poppins' authority that Bert is a gentleman who... Uh, is capable of forbearance, 
these seem like qualities that uh, Gar would really benefit from. So my hope is that it is Bert from Mary Poppins. Okay, let's read and find out. I I'm pretty sure that's who it is. Speaking of interesting guests, let's talk about Terry's bachelor party. All right. His friends are drunk. His friends are cartoon drunk. Mm-hmm. They are also, like, they all seem to be weird 70s businessmen. Who hate the idea of marriage. Oh, yeah. Where do you think Terry knows these people from? Are they his fellow history college professors? Wasn't one of them supposed to be his brother? The guy who organized the party is his brother. Okay. So I'm like, okay, we see why that guy's there. They're probably all his brother's his brother just invited his friends instead of Terry's friends? I think so. Does Terry just not have any friends? I don't think so. It seemed weird that Dick was invited, but none of the other Titans were, until I actually stopped and thought about it, because the other Titans who could have been invited would be Vic or Beast Boy. Now, obviously, nobody's inviting Beast Boy to any parties. Mm-hmm. Although, ironically, parties are the one place where I have consistently liked Beast Boy. Turns into a chimpanzee, wears a clown suit... Yes, but this being a bachelor party, you would have not liked to have seen Beast Boy here, especially because there's the yeah, whole that's cake true. Situation. Oh, yeah, that would have been awful. Mm-hmm. So, good call, not inviting Beast Boy. I feel like Vic and Beast Boy were specifically not invited in this context because Terry is the only person who seems to care or understand the concept of secret identities. So I guess they're not going to invite any women because it's a bachelor party and because it's 1984. Mm-hmm. So I guess it would just be Dick. But mm-hmm. Dick is not comfortable there. No, he is not. It's funny. There is a scene in there where, like, often the Titans, even though they're still supposed to be teens, are dealing with all this adult matter and are drawn pretty, or, you know, written somewhat mature, except mm-hmm. for Beast Boy. But Dick here has a thing of, like, 30 to him seems <laughs> really old. When I'm 30, will I still be look ogling the candy spices of my day yeah do three-year-olds like strippers <laughs> like he's who can even say nobody knows <laughs> terry's pretty chill with him on that sort of although he does give the i forget what his exact wording is but the basically the just because you're on a diet doesn't mean you can't look at the menu which as i am remembering it the first time i heard that phrase was from my eighth grade art teacher oh no <laughs> Yeah. Ah. Yeah. It might have been freshman year in high school. Either way, creepy as fuck. That's not good. No. No, it is not. Ah. Yeah. But it's still pretty creepy when Terry says it, too. Mm -hmm. But then he does, I mean, not to make it better, but he does follow it up with, like, hey, I've, you know. We we both I love Donna. You love Starfire. We got, we're, like, we're we're good with what we have in our relationships. And then... Candy Spice, which that's a weird name. As a stage name, I I don't I wish it was just a little bit more coherent. Like I understand both halves of it being part of a stage name, but when you put them together, it doesn't really mean anything. Well, like you'd think it would be like Candy Cane or like I don't know. I don't speak from experience, but if you're in the type of job that you're jumping out of cakes to surprise people, that's what they do, right? They just yeah. surprise people. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. ah! <laughs> like you don't want to make them think too hard. I'm okay. going to be like, Kane, Candy Cane, like, Orson Welles? Citizen, what am I supposed to read into this? Like, oh, so Citizen Kane? Right. <laughs> it's with a K, right? I want a Citizen <laughs> Kane-themed stripper. <laughs> it's like carrying a sled. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, 
it's just, we have just to stop breaking this out of a snow globe. Yeah. Okay. I'll allow that. I guess Candy Spice is an okay name. Thank you. <laughs> For a birthday performer. Wait, I guess it's not a birthday. <laughs> there was a cake so that's there a, was a cake i got confused also that cake had been sitting there for a while it's not wheeled into the room was she just sitting inside that cake for the whole party up until that point because it seems like it's been a while because those dudes are pretty drunk mm-hmm. so was she just sitting inside that cake for that long i'm afraid so that sounds terribly uncomfortable it sounds terribly uncomfortable and also i mean from a personal standpoint i would be a little bit upset if there was a cake that big and then there was no actual cake. Mm-hmm. That's fair. It looked like a pretty good cake, too. And it was big. And then, and then it's like, oh, it was made out of paper. Mm-hmm. Probably just like frosted paper. Gross. I don't like the way Barry plans a party. No. Barry Long seems like a real dick. He's a piece of work. So here are a couple of things that I really don't like about Barry. Okay. His inability to pronounce Mexico. It's because he's drunk. He's drunk, but the way that he pronounces it is... Mexico. Oh, okay. I, I feel like that would have been an SH. Because I was trying to figure out for way too long what, what is a machico? I, I read it. I, you read it as a machico? Yeah. Okay. Maybe he's been hanging out with Rudy. If Rudy said it, I would find it charming. <laughs> I just don't like Barry. <laughs> you don't. You don't. The other big reason is when they're all talking about how horrible marriage is and how no one should ever get married... Very long. Yea, though you walk through the shadow of death, fear no evil. No evil except community property. Hick. Yeah, because Donna wants to get her hands on his sweet, sweet community college professor money. I don't understand. Community property means that, like, they share their community so that if they get divorced, then they split the money equally. Right. Donna is way fucking richer than Terry. Mm -hmm. Way richer. Yeah, no, he's... He's a community college professor, which doesn't make a ton of money. She is giving out free sodas. No, he's going to come out ahead. He's going to have himself He should be stoked about the idea of community property. Or at least a dipshit like Barry Long should be stoked for his brother, assuming that they would get a divorce because he doesn't believe in the institution of marriage. Terry is smart enough not to have disclosed to his brother that Donna's loaded. I think that's probably a good call. Gonna work out well for Terry if they do split up. He could get a good lawyer and get a oh yeah, Kirstie Alley type situation. I don't remember the you name. Mean, yeah, he of could, the guy that she was married to, but he said he had become accustomed to a certain lifestyle and then got lots of money. Oh, I thought you just meant he would get to be on Victoria's closet. No. Oh, that's a shame. I mean, in a Kirstie Alley, he would have to have a very good situation. lawyer if he. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, well, in the divorce, it's stipulated that you get to star in a short-lived sitcom that comes on after Cheers. That's some heavy-duty lawyering. That's some good lawyering. The corollary to the bachelor party is the gathering on Paradise Island of Coriander. And I guess they had explained beforehand that Raven doesn't want to be part of it. Mm -hmm. But we get to see Wonder Woman making a cameo. Which was very confusing for me. It took me a minute to figure out what was going on there too. Which again is the sort of thing that I am perhaps unfairly inclined to blame on DiCarlo's inking. That I was very confused whether Diana and Donna were different people. Mm -hmm. I know they look kind of similar 
generally, but when they were talking to each other and their mom was talking to both of them, it wasn't until they were in the same shot together that I was like, oh, that's Wonder Woman, not just Hippolyta being weird when she's talking to Donna. But she was being weird when she was talking to her in at least one regard. Donna's worried she'll have to give up her Amazon powers if she gets married. She tells her, no, 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 these were a gift that were given to you, not something that should be taken away. That's nice. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, and here, take these. And she's given some new bracelets. And that's nice. And her mom explains like, oh, your old bracelets are a slave's bracelets. These are the bracelets of freedom, meaning you can go between two worlds. I feel like they're missing the panel where Donna's like, Wait a minute, my old bracelets are what? My whole childhood I was a slave? I wore these things for 18 fucking years, you never mentioned it? Mm-hmm. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah, that was weird. And it also made me wonder if Wonder Woman was just like, Wait a minute, these are what? <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. the fuck, Mom? <laughs> yeah, that was super weird. There is just one other thing I want to bring up real briefly. I had mentioned earlier, perhaps unfairly, that Terry seems to be the only one who is concerned with maintaining secret identities. I think maybe Dick has learned his lesson in that regard. I think he is really dedicated to keeping his new Nightwing persona separate from both Dick Grayson and his previous Robin persona. And where I get that from is when they are driving the sub, somebody says, you're sure you know how to pilot the T-sub? It's usually Vic's job. Dick says, he's not here. I may not be as good, but I don't think we'll sink. No pun intended. Okay, that's not a pun. When he says no pun intended, I want to say none comprehended. Mm-hmm. But Robin used to make a ton of puns. I feel like he's trying to set up Nightwing as a different character and like is really doing some in-depth work to establish like he doesn't even know what a pun is. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah, he's going deep with this. That I would... No pun intended. See, because they're in a submarine, that's how that works. Got it. You ready to get into the minutia? I think we should. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, sartorially speaking... Whoa, where to begin? My God, so many clothes in this issue. So many. And in some scenes, so few clothes. Yep, that too. What do you want to start with? Let's talk about the bad guys in the warehouse. Yes, the wildly disparate group of terrorist revolutionaries. I came up with a name for one of them that I want to say, which is LL Cool Shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Is this the pink giraffe shirt, man? It is. Okay. (laughs) It is. Well, ladies do love cool shirts. Is that where you got the name? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Okay. Of course. Yeah, he bears no resemblance whatsoever to the uh, no. the, the Sonic Styler. Yeah, so I, I had written down names for a bunch of these guys. I called him Pink Giraffe. We got Pink Giraffe, we got Phantom Stranger, the Mr. guy who's wearing the uh, fedora, trench coat, sunglasses combo. We got the Mr. T knockoff guy. We got, I call him Pompadour Mr. T. Pompadour Mr. T, that's good. We've got Oliver Twist. Yeah, in some panels. In some panels, he looks kind of like Oliver Twist. He's definitely got the, like, he's got a weird, like, Jiffy Pop hat sort of thing going on. Yeah. But with, like, a purple trench coat. Or, no, purple Jiffy Pop hat, green trench coat. But the scene in which Vic calls him boy, 
he looks like he might be asking for gruel. So mm-hmm. that's where I came up with the, uh, mm-hmm. the Oliver twist. We get Bob the Joker's goon. He doesn't fully turn around so you can't see whether he has the cool Blake Brigade jacket on or the less cool Joker jacket. We also get Ben Buford from Shaft, mm-hmm. the guy wearing the black turtleneck with the mutton chops and, and the mustache. So yeah, they they all have very interesting looks. I liked the, you call LL Cool shirt, I call Pink Giraffe. But yeah, it's got like, it's almost like a pink lava lamp blobs all over this and kind of blousey trousers. white dress. And yeah, he's got pink trousers. It's yeah. a hell of a look. Yeah, it seems about 10 years late. I don't know. Or early. I ain't seen him wearing that shit at a rave in the 90s. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Attach some glow sticks and good to go. Uh-huh. Okay. It's like, man, DJ Kaoki's ripping it up. Other fashion in the issue, because, man, there's a ton. I legitimately love Jericho's outfit that he's wearing when he pulls up in the car. Got a nice brown turtleneck sweater on, with a trench coat over it. Yep, that whole scene also, I guess... I Brown I, pants. I brown forget. pants with a light brown turtleneck. It's just a good look. We've talked before about that... There wasn't, there's never a smooth transition from one decade to another, but this, it's <laughs> it 84, is very man. 70s. It's just yeah, 84. Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the next decade. <laughs> well, speaking of people who are dressed very 80s, we get Francis Kane, mm-hmm. who's wearing a diagonally pink and white striped blouse with white pants. Yep. It's a very 80s look. Uh, we have Wally wearing a white pocket tee, which is an interesting and specific choice that they made to put the little pocket there. Tucked into pleated front trousers. Mm-hmm. Fucking Wally. What a nerd. <laughs> hate that guy. Nerd. Who else do we have? I mean, Vic's grandparents are just yep dressed awesome. Yep, had to mention that. They we, look we, great. You get big hats with hat pins and cool coats. Raven's a pink getup. I, I think we've maybe seen that before, but... I don't think in quite that variety. No. It's a more tailored... Very fuchsia. ...version, like fuchsia version of her, like, sorry getup, but it's got a hood on it and, mm-hmm. like, elbow-length gloves. Yeah. Like, she, she looks cool. She, lo- she does look pretty cool. It seems like kind of a lot for if she's just going to classes dressed like that. Mm-hmm. Don't look at me, but look at me. <laughs> exactly. And then when she pops into the Titans Tower and she's like, I don't want to talk to Wally anymore. She's like, I have to go. I think Donna says something like, wait, why are you running off? She's like, I just need to go change. Oh, you look good. Yeah. One last note is I like the tie that Dick is wearing at the bachelor party. Oh, I didn't even note it. Oh, yeah. That's a subtle touch. But yeah, he's wearing like that little like. Looks like orange pebble ice. Mm -hmm, Pebbles. It's a nice tie. Classy. Barry is, of course, wearing a bright red blazer and what I'm pretty sure is supposed to be the piano tie. Mm -hmm. The piano keys on a tie, which I I think is a good choice. I think the coloring maybe got mixed up, so it just looks like stripes, but I think that's supposed to be a piano. I bet it is. Seems like piano or fish. He's that kind of guy, Mm -hmm. you know? I like that Aqualad... When he is looking at uh, Robin's new outfit, he's like, I bet you don't miss the short shorts, though. Mm-hmm. But maybe Corey does. Mm-hmm. I think he meant Coriander, not you. He spelled it with a K. Yeah, I, I made the same the same assumption. I don't know. I think. <laughs> Fair. Do you miss the short shorts? I think it would look pretty funny on that Nightwing outfit if he did have them. <laughs> I think that would be kind of fun. Yeah. I noticed that Aqualad's not giving up his short shorts. No. No, man. If it ain't broke, wear them short shorts. Yeah, show off those C-strengthened legs. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect? 
I love the sound that it makes when a pissed off cyborg throws bad guys out of a warehouse. I had the same one. Care to uh, say it? Yeah, it happens, I, I would say simultaneously, so I don't, maybe I'll say that one and you say that one. Okay. Spack! So they do overlap and they sound similar, but the bad guy getting thrown out of the top part of the door makes a spack mm-hmm. with a bunch of Ks. Yeah, that's Phantom Stranger. And Ben Buford from Shaft makes a batak. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty great. And then he threatens Oliver Twist. Yep. That's what I had. That's what I had too. There is later on in the issue when Aqualad is describing the misdeeds of the spicy poop rankers. There is a thum barack, which is nice. But yeah, I had the spack batak too. Spack batak. Batak. Corey, did you have a timestamp for this issue? Yeah, I did. We've already talked about it, but it was the Dirty Harry quote or reference mm-hmm. that um, Beast Boy gives. That was one of two. The other one that I had was when Terry Long is describing that his brother Barry probably thinks this bachelor party is classy. He says he even invited Alastair Cook, uh, who was the host of Masterpiece, Masterpiece Theater, Theater from the late 70s through the early 90s. I remember I grew up on NPR and probably watched a lot more Masterpiece Theater than the average child. I did too. Although still, when I hear Alastair Cook, my first thought is the Cookie Monster parody of Alastair Cook. Alastair Alastair Cookie, Cookie, and this is Monsterpiece Theater. Mm -hmm. Monsterpiece Theater. That cracked me up so bad as a kid. Because I got it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It was that was like, oh, this is one of the references that's for grown up that's for grown ups, mm-hmm. but I know this because I watch PPS so that I can watch Monty Python with my dad yeah. when that comes on, and then be very confused and disappointed by Benny Hill, which for some reason is on PBS. Yeah, that was one of those shows that's like a tween that I would just keep watching and I was like, something really risque is about to happen. Yes. Well, there was a lot of nudity on it i don't remember there was a lot of toplessness on benny hill edited that part they did not because i remember watching it when i was a tween as well oh shit maybe i just was like oh i gotta pee and i I (laughs) missed the topless parts really i i I feel like that's the raison d'etre of the benny hill show is so that you could see naked breasts on uh pbs and yakety sax yakety sax is a good song (laughs) for a while that was my ringtone just a brief note, the Mebby count in this issue. Beast Boy takes up the slack for Terra, mm-hmm. perhaps as homage, perhaps out of frustration. But uh, the Mebby count in this issue is three. We have three Mebbies, all said by Beast Boy. Yep, I noticed he was high on the Mebby count. Uh-huh, it could have been higher too, because he did have a maybe as well. Mm. One maybe, three Mebbies. Dang. Mm-hmm. Corey. Yes. Let's take this party to the Bozo. What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to highlight? The one I would like to highlight takes place on page 7, and it's Beast Boy saying, maybe Terra was right, all the Titans are jerks. I had the same one. That's a good insult. Yeah, especially because it does include himself. Oh, I bet he didn't realize that when he said it. No, I think there's a lot of things he didn't realize that he was saying as he was saying them. He's angry. Yeah. 
I would have liked it if actually while he was doing his weird conflation of the villains he's fighting with Terra, he's like, you creeps keep pretending you want to help people. You tell them you're going to set them free, but you just want to take over for yourself. You pretend to be friends, yet you lie to everyone. No one's going to be fooled by you again. Why did you do it, man? You lied. I hate that. I hate that. I wish he had gone the one step further and... When you kissed me, that didn't mean anything, did it? <laughs> that poor guy really confused getting the guy. crushed to death by an elephant. She's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I've never kissed an elephant before in my life, man. Okay, one time, but that was in college, and it wasn't green. What was your favorite panel? Hard to say, but I think my favorite panel might have been the one that I call Elephant Toss. Cyborg is trying to prevent Beast Boy from murdering this dude that maybe kissed him in college, maybe didn't. <laughs> and he grabs Beast Boy by the tail. And it's just, I like it because it also stro- shows how incredibly strong both Cyborg and Elephant's tails are because he's able to pick up the elephant. And <laughs> yeah, man, you are him. not supposed to pick up an elephant by the tail. I, they probably don't like it. But I, I know what you mean. That panel, it's really evocative. Yeah, it's just a close up of Cyborg grabbing an elephant's tail. It's and more, then the, more so the goes, next one. Yeah. The one where the elephant goes flying. Yeah. Or he just yeah. basically throws him the whole thing. That is a very good panel. My favorite is one that I call Sober at a Bachelor Party, which is Dick looking over his shoulder incredulously at this drunk businessman dude whose fedora is askew, who has his arm around him and saying, Say, kid, come on, this is a bachelor party. Get yourself a man's drink. Ugh. And Dick says, sorry, sir, but somebody's got to drive the school bus home. Mm-hmm. Zings. I don't think that's a zing. I think that's a literal description. Oh, you think he's got a school bus rented? I assume he rented a school bus. Is that a metaphor? Is he just calling them all, ch- saying they're all being children? That was how I read it. Like That it. probably makes more sense. I just assumed they had rented, <laughs> rented a school, a bus. school bus. No, I just think he was saying he was the designated driver. Oh, that... Yeah, that probably does make more sense. I was thinking, out here in Portland, there's a thing called the Barfly Bus, mm-hmm. where a literal school bus takes you around to various bars as part of a bar call thing. God, that is going to be the worst fucking job. Like, towards I've... the end of the shift, driving that thing? Oh, yeah. Driving it, too. I know people who've worked for, as hosts on it, and depending on the group that you've got on there. Oh, the it's... bus, you have to host the people? You have to kind of babysit them as they go from place to place. I've, yeah, I've known a few people who've had that job. And also, as a bartender, when that bus shows up, it is the worst part of your night. Because you get 50 people Whoa. all showing up at the exact same time, all wanting drinks at the exact same time. And these are people who do not know how to curate their own night of drinking. Mm-hmm. So they're getting John Hughes party drunk and are not used to going to bars generally. So they'll all order fancy drinks at the same time. And they are not great tippers. And... Yeah, that is a rough time when they all show up. Sounds like a bummer. It often was. Hmm. Anyway, I just assumed he was driving a real school bus. Fair enough. But you're probably right. But that was my favorite panel. Just the look on his face as he's just like, oh, I wish this guy wasn't touching me. There's a drunk mustachioed gentleman with his arm around me being like, come on, kid, we'll get you drunk like a man. Yep. Uncomfortable. It, it, It was a funny panel. To see Dick in that situation. Indeed. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Speedy? 
I know it's going to come as a giant surprise to everybody, but fucking Wally. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, the only question I had was whether Wally counts as a Teen Titan anymore, but he's a superpower teen. He showed up. Yeah. I, I don't it's... even care. He just, just, you don't, your friends are dying. You don't, you don't be like, not this acknowledge about me. It yeah. And then complain about everything. Yeah. Even if you feel slighted about funeral shit, you don't bring it up. It's not about you. Wally was my choice if we weren't counting him as a Teen Titan. I think I was going to go with Vic. Just the way that he's been dodging Beast Boy, who is like his best friend on the team. Uh, and the fact that I don't feel like he did adequate preparation for his grandparents' visit. Both valid points. Conversely, who was your Aqualad? I just assumed we had to pick Aqualad by default <laughs> if he showed up in the issue. I think that's fair. I, I really want to. I don't think he necessarily did the best job, but he is Aqualad and he's in the issue. Hey, he was almost dead, and he fought off a whole army of poop rankers. Yeah. And got, ultimately, Tula and himself to safety, despite being poisoned. Yeah. I also had Raven on the list for being the only Titan who was taking the time to learn sign language, so that she could communicate better with Jericho. I thought that, that was a nice move on her part. And in the running, I, I kind of had Beast Boy. He was a very effective fighter, and his... His bizarre psychotic rantings as he was fighting made more sense to me as in-fight banter than his normal bullshittery. Yeah, it was a chance to see him exercise his powers in a way that, you know, they could actually be pretty terrifying. Yeah, to yeah. A, to a normal powered human. Yeah, and we, we see that. One of them says, I thought they had said they were never going to kill. I, I've heard of him. Yeah, let's get out of here, man. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm in agreement. If Aqualad's on the table, I'm taking Aqualad 10 out of 10 times. Fair enough. Well, I think that leaves us with just one question. Mm. Normally, at this point, we ask, what is Aqualad probably up to? But we know what Aqualad's probably up to. We just saw what he's up to. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take a swerve here. Seeing as we know what the greatest of Teen Titans is up to in this issue, namely fighting a bunch of uh, spicy poop rankers and carrying Aqua Chick to the safe, relative safety of the Titan Tower. Let's check in and see what the worst Teen Titan is up to. So, Corey, I ask you, Wispoot, what's Speedy probably up to? Oh, in Speedy. the year of our Lord, 1984, and the month of our Lord, August. Well, it was a hot summer in Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, was it? Yeah. What was going on there? Well, as we know, Speedy has had his troubles with substance abuse. Mm -hmm. And I'm sad to say he was in the throes of such troubles. Oh, dear. In August of 1984, and he found himself in Jacksonville, Florida, and was looking for a way to generate some easy capital so he could get more drugs. Previous drugs hadn't quite worn off, and he came up with the idea. So he borrowed uh, what he thought was an empty tanker truck. Oh, no. Yep. And found an unguarded above-ground oil tank owned by the Triangle Oil Corporation, based oh. out of Jacksonville. And uh, thought that if he could just hook up the hose from the tank to the truck, he could get himself a whole truckload of oil and drive somewhere and sell that for a pretty penny and get himself some wonderful drugs. <laughs> uh, um, the problem was the truck was full, he hooked it all up. And 2.5 million gallons oh, of oil spilled speedy. everywhere. The popular media, or just the media, yeah, later reported that the massive fire that took place oh. afterwards was a result of a lightning strike. 
But no, what happened was Speedy, upon realizing his mistake, got super stressed out and reached for his pack of cool 100s, lit one up, and nervously dropped the match, and boom! Wow. What a mess. Good gravy. Well, it was a busy month for Speedy. (laughs) Because in addition to causing that huge oil fire, another plan he had for making a little extra cash was doing some sports betting with his old pal Pete Rose. (laughs) Pete Rose had recently returned to the Cincinnati Reds as a player manager, and he had his first game on August 17th. Speedy was like, I bet you don't even get a hit in that game. Pete Rose is always up for taking bets on baseball, so he took him up on that bet, and he ended up getting two hits in that game, so Speedy ended up losing money, which may have led to his desperation in mm. uh, stealing that oil tanker. The other thing that Speedy was up to that month was listening to the radio. He was uh, switching back and forth to find out if the cops were on to him, mm-hmm. so he was checking his police scanner, and he ended up picking up some of a presidential test radio broadcast <laughs> in which Ronald Reagan <laughs> joked that... That he had just outlawed Russia and they were going to start bombing in five minutes. This was a joke that President Reagan made when he was doing a voice check. And Speedy thought that was the greatest thing he'd ever heard. He's like, you go get him, Ronnie. Oh, Speedy. You get those Ruskies. So later that month, he called up his buddy Wally West and they headed to the Republican National Convention on August 19th to see their new hero, Ronald Reagan, get the party nomination for his re-election bid in 1984. Oh my goodness. And that's what Speedy, the worst teen titan, was probably up to. What a month. It's weird. It's almost like you're suggesting presidents have some responsibility not to say crazy shit on the airwaves. Heaven forfend, Corey. Not like Reagan had a Twitter account or anything. (laughs) Well, this has been a real adventure, Corey. Indeed. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back in a couple of weeks and see what Aqualad and Aquagirl and their respective sea-strengthened limbs get up to. And I guess the rest of the Titans, too. Mm -hmm. We'll be back next week with the first Defenders issue of A New Era, with Jerry Conway and Keith Giffen as the primary creative team. They'll be rejoined by Klaus Jansen on Inks, so there'll be some continuity there. But yeah, big doings are happening. Good. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. If you'd like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook or the internet. Mm Mm-hmm. Inside your hearts and minds, as always, we'll be there, looking out, waving at you, giving a big thumbs up. Unless you're doing evil, in which case we'll be folding our arms and scowling lovingly. In disapproval. In disapproval. (laughs) If you'd like to uh, make us some Blake Brigade jackets, (laughs) we'll wear them, man. That's my promise to you. Tiger with a Y. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, obviously. Okay. I mean, that fucker's burning bright. Yep. Uh, yeah, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Is that what it's called? I'm not sure. Apple Music. Whatever iTunes is calling itself these days. Or a review on Stitcher or Spotify or your podcatcher of choice. And if you'd like to donate monetarily, you can do so at 
patreon.com slash ttwasteland. Uh, we've gotten a couple of new donations recently, and I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. If you do donate, then you will get access to exclusive content, including a new monthly podcast that Lisa and I are doing about Howard the Duck. It is called What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. It's a title that has diminishing returns, but the show itself remains delightful, I am told. And I think that's all of the things. Is that all of the things? I think that's all the things. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. And, uh... Smack patak! Smack patak! You <laughs> tight teeners! Oh. Nope. <laughs> nope, that's not staying in. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> and they knew it! If you would have told me when I was a teenager, I would be drinking legal weed beer and recording a podcast about comic books, I would have said, what's a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> also, that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.